Good morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be back in the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 17. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Actually, I'm going to start reading in verse 16 this morning. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul, and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you because, as we just sang, you're able to do exceedingly above all that we could think or imagine. Father, we praise you that through the power of your Spirit, we have the opportunity to serve you. And we pray that we would do that. For those that know Jesus in this room, I pray that we would persevere throughout our life and leave a legacy of faithfulness behind. Father, if there are those in here who do not know Jesus, I pray that you would convince them this morning of the truth of your word, that your son died for us, that he rose for us, and that he's alive. And this morning we come in here eager to hear from your word. I pray, teach us. Open our minds that we would understand. Move in our hearts. Tear away the resistance and the fear and the doubt. And empower our hands and our feet for your service. We thank you, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
My guess is that most of you have not considered up to this point uh, your will, what will happen when you die. Uh, that's possible that you haven't considered it because at this point you say, you know, I really don't have that much stuff to dispose of. Nobody probably wants my calculus textbook. Nobody probably wants the three pairs of clothes that I have in my closet. Uh, you don't have a whole lot to dispose of, but the truth is that that day will come when you'll begin to think about what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to the things I have uh, when I die. Who am I going to leave these things to? I remember that moment sitting down shortly after Shannon and I had our first child, Elizabeth, sitting down with an attorney and having to talk through uh, who will get what in the event that we die. And like you, it's not as if we have just wealth and resources, but somebody had to think about it. And so we sat down. Uh, I read this week about a few men who left some strange bequests in their will. For example, there was a man in the 1880s. His name was Jonathan Jackson. He apparently had a sizable fortune. And what he decided to do with the money that he had left over upon his death was to create a very elaborate house for all the cats of the world. And so uh, the article I read said, for his part, he left his fortune to be used in the creation of a house for cats, where cats would have bedrooms, a gym, a dining hall, and an auditorium where they could listen to live music. That's got to be kind of a low as a professional musician, right? Play in an auditorium for a bunch of cats. The house would also have a specially designed roof for climbing. Uh, Another very famous military hero, Napoleon Bonaparte, when he died, he requested that his beard and hair be shaved and distributed amongst his friends and relatives, right? What a gift. Somebody's hair from their head. It's fabulous. Uh, Fred Bauer, the inventor of the Pringles can, uh, specified that he wanted at least some of his remains to be cremated and buried with him in a Pringles can. All right? That was his legacy, the Pringles can. Uh, Mark Grunewald, one of the editors of Iron Man and Captain America Comics, wanted his ashes mixed with comic book ink and used to print comics. Some of you have those Captain America comic books in your room. You're rethinking them now, aren't you? Raises a question, what is your legacy? For these men, their legacy was a Pringles can or a comic book or a house for animals. That is how they invested their resources when they died. You may not have thought about it yet, but the day is going to come when you're going to die. I'm going to die. It's a happy Sunday morning thought for you. You're going to die. We're all going to die. And if I ran in here this morning and I started screaming and I said, we're all going to die, you might beat a path for the exits. You might think the, the room was burning down, right? But the reality is we are. And the question then is, what is the legacy you're going to leave behind? You say, well, my legacy is I'm going to be famous. Everybody's going to know my name. I'm going to invent something awesome. I'm going to run a company. The reality is that fame and fortune fade away. I read an article this past week about Michael Jordan, perhaps the greatest basketball player of all time. And the article was all about how in his retirement for the last 15, 20 years, the question he keeps coming back to is this, who am I without basketball? If I'm not on the court, if fans aren't cheering for me, They may remember me when I'm in my grave for playing that game, but who am I? What really am I going to leave behind? And maybe you say, 
you know, I'm not worried about when I die. I'm just really worried about getting through A&M. I anticipate it's going to take me 10, 12 years to get through this place. Uh, I just want to finish. Well, let me ask you this question then. When you finish at A&M or Blinn, what will be the legacy you leave behind? Are there men and women coming behind you that would say, I was impacted by his life, by her life. I am a person who walks closer with Jesus Christ today than I was yesterday because of the two, three, four years you spend at this university. And you say, hey, I'm the president of a great organization here on campus. I'm a Bible study leader. I'm an impact co-chair or counselor. That's my legacy. And I say, no, that's not your legacy. That's your position. It's your title. My roommate in college was the president of what was then the largest Christian organization on this campus. Guess what? The organization doesn't exist anymore. You've never heard of it. You don't know his name. Organizations come and go, titles come and go. Your legacy will be the investment you make in men and women who are coming behind you that will resonate for eternity. Will people know Jesus Christ and be closer to him because of your life? Uh, One of my seminary professors and mentors died this past week, a name that some of you will know, many of you will not. His name was Howard Hendricks. Uh, All of you in this room, have been impacted by the man's legacy because he taught thousands of us how to study the Bible. If you do a Bible study here at Grace, our Bible studies are derived directly from the methodology he taught us. And this past week, as I was looking at articles and stories about his life, you hear man after man after man. Rick Warren, Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, Dennis Rainey, all of these men that have worldwide ministries saying, that man taught me about Jesus. He left behind a legacy of men and women. Is that who you will be? As we look at Acts 20, we're going to see the life of another man, the Apostle Paul, whose story we've been tracing through the book of Acts and the legacy he has left behind at this church in Ephesus. If you remember, Paul goes on these missionary journeys. This is now his third missionary journey throughout Asia Minor and throughout the ancient world. And on his second journey, he had stopped in Ephesus and he spent three years in Ephesus with these men and these women, teaching them, training them, telling them that Jesus died and rose again, and then encouraging them to hold fast to the faith. And now he comes back around and it says he didn't want to stop in Ephesus because he's bound and determined to get to Jerusalem by the time the Pentecost feast rolls around. So what he does is he pauses in Miletus, a city just a little ways away from Ephesus, and he calls these elders to himself. And what we see here in Acts 20 is Paul's final speech to these Ephesian elders to say, this is the deposit of the faith that I've left in you. And the legacy that I want to leave in you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he challenges these men and these women to hold fast to the word of God, even when he's gone. He says, I'm never going to see you again. But the grace of God will carry you because what I've implanted in your hearts and minds will last forever. And that church went on after Paul died in the ministry of another man named Timothy into whom Paul poured his life. And so what we want to look at from Acts 20 is how can you leave a legacy of godliness? Do you want to finish well and look back and say, I've poured, invested my life into people who know Jesus Christ who will help others know Jesus Christ. How can we do that? Let's look at Acts chapter 20. The first thing that I see, how can we leave an eternal legacy? The first thing we see in the life of Paul says, stay 
humble. Stay humble. Look at verse 19. It said, I serve the Lord with all humility. With all humility. You go down to verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. All right, Paul says this, when I was among you, I served with humility. I didn't come here to make you think Paul was so great. My life was not about walking away and having people go, Paul is awesome. But my life meant nothing to me other than that I had been called to proclaim Jesus Christ. Humility allows you to focus on what matters. You really, you can build a life that will be comfortable, that might even be well-known, might be prestigious, and have no impact for eternity. Because you build a kingdom with your name on the crown instead of the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, my ambition is to go lower If it means I work with my hands to provide for myself, if it means I accept persecution and criticism and hardship, I go lower and lower and lower for the sake of Jesus Christ so he can be exalted. That's what humility allows you to do. When we think of humility, a lot of us think humility is that attitude that walks around going, I'm just, I'm terrible. I'm so dumb, right? I'm little, I'm short, I'm not very good looking, right? We think humility is an attitude of self-hatred. That's not what humility is. Biblically, humility is the attitude, as Romans 12 says, that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but we think of ourselves with sound judgment, sober judgment in light of the grace of God. In other words, I say, I am a created being. God made me. I didn't make myself. Jesus died for me because I'm a sinner. And humility is an appropriate assessment that what I've been called to do is reflect him and not honor and glorify myself. Is that the kind of legacy you're going to leave? Or do you say, really, what matters is how many people liked my status last night? Did you see how many? 40? 50? How many people retweeted me this week? A lot? A few? How many friends do I have? How many organizations? How many honors have I piled up? Or is what matters that I've invested my life in men and women? The very first funeral I ever did was while I was in seminary, I got a call from the church that Shannon and I were attending at the time. And they said, uh, there's a man who's passed away. He doesn't really have any church involvement. Uh, Would you go down to the funeral home and do this guy's funeral? And so I said, yeah, that'd be uh, an interesting experience, great chance perhaps to present the gospel. So I went down to the funeral home and I began to interview and talk with this man's family just to learn a little bit about him before I did his funeral. And I said, okay, tell me about him and what the service is going to consist of. And this man's wife began to talk about her husband. And she said, well, you know, he was vain. He always thought about his hair and his mustache was perfectly trimmed. So at the funeral... Uh, I want to have a song played. And the song is, I want to talk about me by Toby Keith. I'm not making this up. At the man's funeral, we sat there while his family had over the loudspeaker, I want to talk about me. That was his legacy. And I sat there and I thought, dear God, don't let that be my life. Don't let me be the man that people say, 
It's all about him. And Paul says this, I want to live with humility so I can focus the spotlight on Jesus Christ. Some of you in your business classes may have read a book called Good to Great. One of the interesting things about Good to Great is Jim Collins, the author, he profiles companies that went from being kind of average to excellent. And what he found was that the kind of men who led these companies were not the sort of famous showboating CEOs that you would expect, but instead, most of them were men you've never heard of. And they were ambitious, but they were ambitious for the success of that company. And they worked behind the scenes to grow it and see it grow. And so they lived to build something that would last when they were gone. Is that how you live? As you study, as you make friends, as you engage with people online, do you live to say, my purpose in life is to point the spotlight at Jesus Christ and not at me? to live with that kind of humility so you can leave a legacy of people behind who say, he cared about me, she loved me. And that's where Paul goes next. Not only does he stay humble, he also loves others sincerely. He loves others sincerely. 19b says, not only did he serve with humility, he also served with tears. Verses 26 and 27. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Verse 31, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Down in verses 36 to 38, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they were accompanying him to the ship. You get this idea that Paul loved these men. He gave three years of his life to them. He cried over them. He prayed for them. He risked his life and he says, everything I did, I did for you, that you would know Jesus. And he loved them sincerely. You know the difference between somebody who really loves you, right? And somebody who's just talking about love. I think back to when I was in junior high, one of the substitute teachers that I had, I honestly don't remember her name. I remember that we called her the general, not to her face, but when she wasn't in the room. We called her that because she was exceedingly strict, but she was also very mean. She didn't appear to care about the students. She appeared to have as her primary goal to get us to shut up. That was her goal. If the students will just be quiet for an hour so I can get my paycheck and get out of this room, I'll be happy, right? So that had become the sum total of this woman's teaching. You had teachers like that. You may have professors like that right now. You walk into a room of 300 people, they don't know one. They're there because they have to be there. You also have teachers that you know care about the students, or at least you have in the past. I think of a teacher from my high school years, a man who was, he was a psychology professor and he said, I care about my students and he actually developed a peer helper organization amongst the students. For students that were hurting, they could go cry and talk with their peers. He was available. He talked to us. He cared about us. And I still remember his name, Bob Nelson. I'm friends with him on Facebook, right? <laughs> and when I get a chance, I've told him before, your teaching made an impact on my life because you cared about the people in the room. Paul says, I love these people sincerely, so I invest in their lives. It takes time. It's not enough just to say, yeah, I love. But the love that leaves a legacy 
looks people in the eyes and listens to them and cares about them and teaches them from the word of God. Uh, I mentioned a man who built a cat house earlier. Uh, That's a man who really loves cats, right? Um, When I think about animals, when I was a kid, I wanted to be, I thought, a veterinarian. As I grew older, I realized I like animals from a distance. I don't actually want to be up close thinking about their diseases or getting their hair and blood on me, right? Uh, I like to look at pictures of them. Occasionally, I like to pet a dog. Now, that's different uh, from my wife, right? My wife loves animals, and in fact, it's not too infrequent that uh, additional animals will end up in my home. This past week, I came home, and I was kind of waiting for her, and I heard her come in. We had a babysitter that had been watching the kids for a couple hours in the afternoon. And I, I can see the babysitter across the room as Shannon walked in the door. And I couldn't see Shannon, but Shannon walks in and the babysitter goes like this. And I looked over at her. I go, she has a cat, doesn't she? And the girl goes, yeah, right? She brought a cat into the house that was outside of our home waiting in our garage. Now, why was the cat there? The cat was there because my wife and daughters feed all the cats in the neighborhood. They set food out for them every day. They wait for the straight cats to come. So we are the home where all of your cats are coming to eat, right? If you're wondering where your cat goes, it's coming to my house to eat the food, okay? You see the difference? I like animals in theory. My family likes them in practice. That's a distinction. That is the kind of love that Paul demonstrates toward these people. He gives his life. He gives his time. He's not there to impress them. He's there to transform their lives. So as you think about your life right now, you want to leave a legacy when you graduate a and I, I hope that you do read the Bible. I hope that you do spend time in the word of God. I hope that you come here and worship. But I also hope that in the midst of that, you know your neighbors, you know those who live next to you, you know your classmates, you know the men and women in this room and in your Bible study. And you say, I want to invest my life in helping others know Jesus Christ, teaching the word of God to other people, giving of my time, and yes, my money, and yes, my energy, so people will know him and see that Jesus Christ gave his very self for you and me. And through the power of the Spirit, I want to reflect that love. As Paul says, if you want to have an impact, if you want to have a legacy, do what I did and love sincerely. Then he says, persevere through trials as well. Persevere through trials. 19c says, I serve the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials. As you go down verses 22 and 23, it says, now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul said, look, while I was here among you in Ephesus, the Jews were trying to kill me. Now I'm headed to Jerusalem, and guess what? They're going to tie me up and throw me in jail. But I'm headed there Because I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power to change lives. And so he perseveres through trial after trial after trial. And as you read through his letters, you see this message in his life that I've endured hardship. He went to prison over and over and over again. He was beaten multiple times and eventually martyred because he believed in Jesus Christ. And he believed that as we endure trial that reflects Jesus, As we endure persecution for our faith, that reflects Jesus Christ. If you have not yet experienced significant trial in your life, it's coming. The day is coming. Life has a way of tossing difficulties at you. 
that you don't always know what to do with when they first hit you. And a lot of people give up. Uh, When I was about six or seven, uh, my brother, my older brother and I decided that we were going to dig a hole to China uh, in our backyard. Uh, And the plan was good. Actually, the plan on paper was sound. We had a couple of shovels. Uh, We went into the backyard. We had space. We were going to dig through the earth and emerge among the Chinese people. Uh, We began to dig, though, and we quickly discovered that the digging was a little harder than we expected. And so we modified the plan because we realized we're not going to make it anytime soon. Uh, We hit a little bit of clay and we said, okay, here's plan B. We are going to build an underground clubhouse. Uh, We were going to dig about 20 feet down. We figured we could do that. And then we were going to dig outward and create sort of a circular clubhouse and put a ladder down there and put uh, sofas and furniture and I would presume televisions and all sorts of things down underground. We had this image of us just crawling down in there, pulling the lid, and nobody, including our parents, would be able to find us. Uh, We didn't make it, as you would imagine. We got about 18 inches down into the soil and realized that Texas soil is undiggable because of the clay. And so uh, probably still to this day, there is a little hole in that backyard uh, as a testimony of our quitting, right? We quit. We gave up. And we would walk by it and go, yeah, one day we'll get back to that, right? We were always going to get back to it and eventually build our little fortress, but we never did because it was harder than we thought. The Christian life is hard. Yes, it's joyful. Yes, the reward is worth it. But there will be trial. As you seek to arrange your life around pursuing Jesus Christ and you say, I want to arrange my finances in such a way that I can give to the kingdom of God. I want to arrange my life in such a way that I share the gospel at work amongst my neighbors. I want to raise my kids to know Jesus Christ. And what you're going to find is there are obstacles in your path. And the temptation is to grow bitter, to grow angry, to drift away from Jesus Christ because it's not as easy as you hoped. And I, at my age, have already seen it time and time and time again. And if the statistics are true, less than a third of you sitting in this room will still profess faith in Jesus Christ on the day you die. And often it's because it's harder than you think. But Paul says, by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I will persevere because he believes that the reward is worth it. That one day he will stand before Jesus Christ and he wants to hear, well done. You finished the race. 2 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul looks back on his life, he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also but also to all who have loved his appearing. My guess is that some of you in this room, you already feel like quitting right now. It's February and you're going to quit. School is tough. It's hard to walk with the Lord. Hard to share Jesus in your classes. It's hard to keep coming to Bible study because it takes time. It's hard to pray. And so you're ready to quit right now. And the message from Paul is that those who leave a legacy behind are those who through the power of the Spirit bring those difficulties day after day after day to the feet of Jesus Christ and say, give me endurance to make it one more day and one more day. The seemingly small trials you are facing today 
are a workshop for the big ones you're going to face throughout your life. Uh, Shannon and I talked about it last week when we talked about dating. One of the things we said is that uh, this difficult period that some of you are in where you're waiting to see if God has a spouse for you. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Hopefully it's someone I like, right? You're just trying to figure all that out. That is one of the first exercises in your young adult life at recognizing that your relationship with God cannot hinge on circumstance. Today it will be singleness. Tomorrow it will be children or finances or career. And things won't go like you hope. And at that moment you have an opportunity to fall before Jesus Christ and ask for endurance or to drift away. And Paul says, I don't want to drift away. Um, I am a person that, uh, frankly, I hate to run. Um, uh, you know, if I'm being chased by like a wolf or a bear, I, I, you know, I would do it. But I hate it. I've never enjoyed it. Uh, it's, uh, but I've done it in the past to try to get into shape. And one of the things that I've often done that people tell me you ought to do, although it doesn't work as well sometimes for me as for others, but the principle is good. And they say, look, uh, if you're going to run 15 miles, which I never have, probably never will. But if uh, you're going to try that, they say, look, don't start out and go, I've got to run 15 miles. All right? You start out training, right? You say, I'm going to run half a mile, then a mile. And as you run that half a mile, you don't even think I'm going to run half a mile. You think I'm going to run to the next street. And then I'm going to go to the next street. And then the next one. And you even break it down. I'm going to put this foot in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot, in front of the other. I only have two, but you know what I mean. All right? One foot in front of the other until I get there. That's the way we persevere in the Christian life, day by day by day. You're making choices and building patterns now that will determine how you persevere for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The man I mentioned at the beginning of my talk, Prof. Hendricks, hits the end of his life. He's 88 years old, and he goes into the presence of his Savior. And I look at it and I say, what a testimony of a man who persevered. As he taught... Those of us who were his students saw him afflicted with cancer. Uh, They took away part of his head and then his eye. And he kept teaching. There's a great story. He fell off the stage when he was in his 80s, broke three ribs. They helped him back up on the stage. He sat down in a chair and finished his lecture. Why? Because he had learned over years to persevere in small trials. So when the big ones came, He didn't flake out. You and I have that opportunity day after day after day to choose to endure in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says he does, even in the midst of these trials. And in the midst of all of it, as he perseveres, he preaches the word of God. He preaches the word of God. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 25 to 27. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Verse 31, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul's entire purpose among them was to preach the word of God. And he said, I want to be in this word. I want to preach to you that Jesus died and he rose again. And that is my mission in life because that 
is where power comes from. That is how your life will be transformed. That is how you will live a life that echoes for eternity. Not by investing in your stuff. Not by investing in a position. But by investing in the gospel and giving it to the lives of other men. When I was in college, I had grew up in a Christian home like many of you. Uh, I had gone to church for all of my life, I had heard all the stories, I'd read all the kids' Bibles and all that kind of stuff, and I frankly got here as a student, and I thought, I've pretty much gleaned everything I'm going to glean from this whole church and Bible thing. Even saying it now, it sounds unbelievably arrogant, but I believed that. Something happened uh, my senior year in college, I joined a Bible study, and this pastor said, we're just going to get into the Word of God and we're going to study it, and then we're going to try to understand what it means, and then we're going to apply it. I didn't know at the time that was actually the methodology from Prof. Hendricks. And I began to study the Word of God, and all of a sudden it came alive for me in a way it never had, because I approached it with the heart of a learner, wanting to know, what will God say to me? And we studied Second Timothy, and I remember Paul saying to Timothy, Take the things I've taught to you and entrust them to faithful men who will entrust them to others. And the implication is they will entrust them to others who will entrust them to others who will entrust them to others. That message grabbed a hold of my life. My prayer for you guys is that the word of God will grab a hold of your life. That you'll say Jesus is real and he's alive. And he died for me and he rose again not only so that I can have eternal life, but so that I can be a beacon that shines the light of Jesus Christ to my peers, to those coming behind me, and yes, even to those ahead of me. That the mission of my life is to preach the word of God. Uh, It was that experience that led me really to think, uh, I want to be a man who proclaims the word of God with my life. That's what I want to do. And even some of you know that over the course of the next semester, I'm transitioning away from direct involvement with this college ministry, but I'll still be at this church in a different role. The mission of my life is to preach the word of God here and around the world. That's what I want my life to be about. My prayer is that will be what your life is about because the word of God will transform you. Hebrews 4.12, passage you've heard. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you allow it to, God's word will slice you open. It'll look inside. It'll change you and call you to invest in the lives of others. What will be your legacy? What will be your legacy? When you leave Texas A&M, will there be people walking behind you who say, because of him or her, I know Jesus better. Because of him or her, I want to invest my life in knowing him. How can you begin now to build it? If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've never met him, the path to having an eternal life and an eternally significant life is believing that Jesus died for you and rose again because you cannot know God apart from him. For those who believe that, how can you begin to build your legacy now? You say, well, I'm an accounting major. I don't really do all of that. Uh, you know, preaching stuff. Yes, you do. You're called to it. As an accountant, as an engineer, as a missionary, whatever God calls you to be, your mission is to proclaim him, to work in such a way 
that those looking on say that's a person who reflects the glory of God, to speak in such a way that you reflect the love and the grace of your Savior. How can you begin to build that legacy now? As we close, that's what I want us to reflect on. We're going to sing a few more songs. How can you begin to build this legacy? What will it be? As you sit here, you say, I'm a freshman. I don't really have much of a legacy yet. Now's the time to begin it. You say, I'm a senior. I'm graduating in two months, and I haven't thought about this at all. It's not too late. There is always another day to turn around and say, I'm going to reach out and invest in the lives of men and women so my life and theirs will resonate for eternity. What will be your legacy? Father, you know the impact that the men and women in this room can have if the words that we just sang are true. If we will take our lives, allow them to be completely and totally for your glory. Father, if with everything we have, our bodies, our minds, our eyes, our words, we sought your glory. Father, I pray that would be true. Not just words in a song, not just a message we listened to before we headed to lunch, but I pray this for some of these men and women in this room would be a pivotal moment of change in which the direction of their life is never the same. I pray that you would mark them out today, that everything we do and say would honor and glorify you and proclaim to the world the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.